Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. Hey, uh, I don't know if you're like me or not, but do you ever get agitated how your phone seems to track what you're thinking, right? Like you have a conversation in a room, and then the next time you open Google, like there's an advertisement for it. You're like, whoa, weird, right? Or if you you Google something, like if I Googled Costa Polarized Fishing Glasses, every website I visit for the next week is going to have advertisements of sunglasses there. We all experience that, and it, it kind of weirds us out, and it kind of frustrates us, though, right? But as mad as we get at our phones, don't our minds kind of do the same thing? Like, we're, we're going in kind of an unrelated direction, then all of a sudden a pop-up ad comes up in our mind that's totally unrelated. And that pop-up in our mind might be a fearful thought. It could be regret could be unrelated anger or frustration where you're just mad at the air. You ever experience that? We get stuck in a pattern of thinking and we're, we're kind of a victim of those pop-ups, but we don't have to be. We don't have to be. What's that thing that keeps popping up in your mind? That advertisement that you wish you could get to go away? That recurring thought, that recurring narrative. It might be something that that we're sure there's something wrong with us, that we're sick. Maybe that we're sure God can't be trusted. Maybe maybe we're going to be faced with this anxiety of losing our jobs or seeing a change on that front. What is that pop-up ad that you can't seem to get to close? The reality is the vast majority, the vast majority of these things that we worry about and that haunt us never happen. What would happen if we could reprogram our thinking? If we could reprogram our minds to get stuck instead of a a negative rut, a negative pattern of thinking, what would be different if we could get stuck in a good rut? Everywhere we turn, instead of negative pop-up ads, we see the gospel light of truth. We see what God's up to. What would change in your life today if that were true for you? I'd like to welcome you back to our conclusion of our teaching series, It's All in Your Mind. If you're visiting with us today or you're just jumping into this series, I invite you to go back, catch up on the last two weeks of teaching. It will kind of tie all of this together, but we've been taking time out this summer to think critically and think seriously about our thinking. And I know that can still make your eye twitch a little bit, but what we really understand that this idea of the battlefield of the mind is something that affects every one of us. Not one of us, uh, regardless of age, regardless of circumstance, is immune from the battle that takes place in our minds every moment of every day. What's going on in our minds, as we've understood through Scripture and, and through observation, is what's, what's going on in here is ultimately what we live out. It affects our perception, our understanding, our view of everything. So when we say it's all in your mind, it's not a cliche saying, it's kind of a confession of truth. 
that it's all in your mind. So throughout this series, we've seen time and time again that we don't have to be victims of our thoughts. We don't have to be. Often we are, and maybe that's been our pattern, but we don't have to be through the grace and the power of Jesus in a transformation that happens that is available within our minds, within the realm of our thinking. We began our series two weeks ago by by understanding that we need transformation, not just a self-help guide or a couple one, two, three easy does-its, but radical renewal of our thinking through the power of Christ Jesus. Last week, as we understood the the importance of taking control of our thoughts, those things that come into mind, we're to take them captive, if you will, like a prisoner being led away. We're to take those thoughts that, that don't line up with Scripture, that don't line up with the nature of who God is, we're to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ Jesus. Those lies, those feelings, those anger, frustrations, anxieties, those things that are not truth, are to be arrested, to be stopped. It's time to cut those things off, stop them dead in their tracks, if you're familiar with that saying. We identify the lie, we name it, because we can't conquer what we can't identify. We identify that lie and we counter it with God's truth and we live into the truth of who God is and as he is revealed in his word. And so if last week's emphasis was on what we should not think, on how we should deal with what we don't want to be thinking about, this week's emphasis is more on what to think. How do we download a new operating system? How do we get new thoughts in our minds? We create new patterns. How do we change our lives by changing our thinking? I invite you to turn with me in your copy of Scripture today to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, you remember my, my easy secret of how to remember the order of Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. Remember, I don't charge extra for that free tip. But in Philippians, we're going to begin in chapter 4, but as we begin our study today, I want to just talk just a moment about context. So the church in Philippi was arguably Paul's favorite, and I know there's some debate around that, but he loved this church. He loved the people. They were very special to his heart. And as we find Paul writing here, he, he's addressing a, a conflict in the church that is pressing, that is causing division. And what's to make that even worse is that the conflict is coming from two of his trusted companions, two of his friends in the gospel. And so as we find Paul addressing that, the beginning, the very beginning of chapter 4 is Paul calling out his friends and saying, look, agree in the Lord. Because they're essentially having a battle of the mind, right? And it's spilling over into division and strife within the church. And so he's writing to address that. As we pick up today, we're going to begin in verse 4, but that's the context. That's what Paul is encouraging the church to do, to take a stand. Take a stand on what is true and for the cause of Christ Jesus. And so I want to begin just in a moment before we jump in with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Lord, as we come before your word... Lord, we want to hear the wisdom of the Apostle Paul, but Lord, will you apply the word today? Will you apply the text to our hearts? God, may we see your will, may we see your intent, and Lord, we want to bow before what you say today. As you speak into our hearts, may we listen and obey and respond. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident 
to all. The Lord is near. It would be really easy to read these words as flat on a page, right? Ink on paper. And think that they're kind of removed from real life. Like we hear rejoice always. Are you, really? And the truth is, if we would look at what's all happening in our world right now, you might even say that there's scarcely anything we can rejoice about. But if we take that approach, we've missed the command that the Apostle Paul is giving us. Because he doesn't say rejoice in the world, does he? He doesn't say rejoice in the news feed. No, he says rejoice in the Lord. We're to find our joy and our strength in Christ Jesus, in the Lord, not in the world. And so that is how he can say, and we've got to remember, we believe he's writing from prison. Now, go research what a first century prison was like, and you'll find there was no cable TV and running water, right? Scarcely any food, scarcely any light, but yet he's found it within himself, within looking and framing the world in Christ Jesus to say rejoice. Rejoice always. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what's happening, we're to turn to the Lord. And I mean, we could pray right now and sing the closing hymn, and that would change so much in our lives. It's to find our joy in the Lord rather than seeking it from the world. Joy here, as we understand what he's trying to tell us, it's, it's, it's a settled feeling of well-being. Joy is not happiness. They're cousins at best, but joy is a deep-seated knowledge, a deep-seated joy, happiness, because we are secure in Christ Jesus, because we know the Father. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. Find that steadfastness in him. And he goes on and he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness here is sometimes, it may be translated reasonableness, or even, and we don't use this at all, sweet reasonableness. Like, how would that be if that was your reputation? That guy or that lady is sweet and reasonable. That's what he's saying here. Let that be known. The person who is gentle, the person who is reasonable, is, is not seeking to retaliate, not seeking to puff themselves up or exalt self, or they're not even seeking to demand their own rights, what they're owed, what's coming to them. Rather, a, a gentle person is always giving, always kind, always considerate of others. And there's so much beauty in the original language here. I wish we could spend all day in it, but when you look at this idea of be evident to all, that Greek word is gnosko. And that's, that's knowledge, so it should be known to all, but it's experiential knowledge. Um, uh, it, it would be like, uh, I know that McDonald's has hot and ready sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles that are awesome. I know they're over there, but I haven't experienced it. It's only when you latch a hold of that and experience that, that's that experiential knowledge that he's talking about here. In other places in Scripture, it's used to talk about the intimacy between husband and wife, gnosko. It's experiential knowledge. That's what he's saying. Our gentleness, our kind favor and spirit is to be known and experienced by all. Not just what we're supposed to be. Oh, he's a Christian. They're supposed to act X, Y, or Z. You know, we don't, you know, that's the world talking to us. But it's to be experienced by all. What would that do for our message of Jesus and how he loves us? If that was our reputation. Let's pick back up in our text today in verse 6. 
He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul is here again giving us another exhortation. If you're like me and don't like being told what to do, you struggle here sometimes, right? Because he's just bam, 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 do, do, do. But this is another exhortation. Do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything. And again, it's easy to see that as flat on the page and go, man, what what world are you living in? Prison, remember? To worry or to be anxious is is to bear tomorrow's burden upon ourselves. And friends, the reality is we were never created to do that. We can't. It's crippling when we try to carry the weight of tomorrow of what we can't control upon our own hearts, upon our own minds. It will destroy us. You know that feeling, though, but our stomach gets tied in knots. We don't want to eat. We can't sleep. We struggle because we're trying to bear that burden. Often I I feel like anxiety or worry is a a very inward-focused phenomenon. We're we're dealing with the uncertainties of the future of the unknown. We're we're focused on what's going to happen or what may happen to us or someone we love. We're consumed by things that we have no control over, and yet it causes a downward spiral in our thinking and in our minds. But listen to what Paul says. He says, but in every situation, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, pray, pray. If anxiety is an inward focus, an inward torment, the cure is presented here in Scripture is to turn that inward focus to Christ Jesus, to stop looking inward and downward and look to him as the maker of heavens and earth and the sustainer of our faith and our strength. That's the invitation here. So if this is true, if this is true, our worries begin to come to an end when our prayers begin. Because we have shifted the focus from looking inside on things we can't control to looking to the one that does control. It's a shift of focus. As followers of Jesus, we don't find victory in and of ourselves. We find victory only in Christ Jesus and looking to him. And we're invited here to bring every single thing, every prayer, every petition, every concern, and lay it before the Lord. Now, you might think about, how does a person have that much time to pray? Like, is this 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., and don't forget to pray before bed and your meals? Like, that's not it. It's not a pattern. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of intimacy, where every good thing is, Lord, Lord, thank you for that beautiful sunrise. Lord, thank you for this awesome McDonald's breakfast sandwich. Lord, thank you for the worship. Lord, I can't control what's coming tomorrow, but you are there. It's a lifestyle of breathing and focusing prayer on the Father. That's the invitation here. It's an interruption of that vicious cycle that can happen in our minds. You know what the result of that is? That shift of focus and concentration is that the peace of God comes. It's not peace and quiet. It's not just calm, but it's the peace of God. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. And he says, and the peace of God, and that word there, it's really a connection, so it's not two separate ideas. It's one flow of thought. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
The peace of God here is certainly the peace of knowing that we're in right relationship with him. It's certainly the peace that is the gift of the Spirit, and we know that within. But the peace that Paul seems to be talking about in our text here is a little bit more. It's an inclusion and almost a one-up. Peace here is not something that God does, though it is. It's not just something that he gives, though it is. Peace is really the very nature. It's the essence of who God is. And that's what we're invited to. That's what will consume us, will take over our thoughts and our minds. And this peace here, I, I think it's likened to having someone present. Like if, if you're not feeling well or you're sick or you're going through a really difficult time, sometimes it's nice just to have a person in the room with you. They don't have to do anything. Don't have to really say anything. But in that moment, there's power in presence. And I think that's the invitation of the scriptures. We will step out of our own thinking and our own downward spiral and step into the peaceful presence of Almighty God. What an invitation. What an invitation. I think this is the peace that Jesus was talking about when he said in John's gospel, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's peace experienced because we're living within God's presence at all times and in all circumstances. The result is as God's peace moves in, as his presence moves in, is that our hearts are now protected. They guard our hearts. And Paul here is again using military language. It was all around him in the first century world. But it's the picture of a, a Roman centurion, a guard around a fortified city. That's the peace of God around the hearts of one who are looking to him. Talk about somebody having your back. What an invitation. What an invitation. So far in our text, Paul has beautifully commanded and portrayed how we're to stand firm, how we're to take our stand in the battle of the minds. And he leads us to the next stage, the next phase. As we have found peace from that cycle of anxiety and despair by looking to God, he, he moves on by telling us how to think and how to act from that position. Listen to his words here. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Throughout this series, we've been looking and saying and proclaiming from the rooftops that what you think about matters. And that's where Paul has gone here. So last week we saw what not to think about, about how to arrest those positive thoughts. He's giving us a clue into the light, to the hope of what we can think about. As we are positioned and our hearts are guarded by Christ, what do we focus our minds on? Because as much as we would love to, we can't just think about nothing. I think men seem to be better at this than women, but we can't just always think about nothing. Something will be going on in our minds. The word translated here, think about these things, is really strong in the original language. It's, it's, it's conveying the idea that we're to meditate on these things, to soak in it. Uh, you might have even heard someone say, um, I'm going to go to my happy place. And what somebody's saying is, I'm going to step out of this world and I'm going to just go somewhere. Like for me, that would be on the New River at Narrows Falls, like in the crack of the valley, the fog lane. I'm just going to go there. 
But you see, I'm concentrating my mind to leave a space. And the invitation here is to make that redemptive. Instead of thinking about fishing and boats and the new river, which is all fine and good, it's to make that redemptive that we're to concentrate on these things. And that language there, it's, it's, it's a kind of a ridiculous analogy. You ever seen a cow chewing its cud? Like I remember when we lived in Singer's Glen, you would pull up to this one stop sign beside a dairy farm, and you'd look over, and it would just be cows everywhere just standing there chewing, just chomping down, staring off oblivious to what you're doing. They don't care about your car. They're just chewing, constantly chewing on what's before them. That's this. We're to marinate, to soak, to chew on these good things and see the difference that that'll make in our lives. So let's, let's, let's wrap our arms, if we can, for just a moment around this whole idea. We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're giving thanks despite our circumstances because our joy's in Him. We've taken captive the anxious thoughts. We're laying all of our questions, our concerns before the Lord. We're living in an attitude of prayer. Our hearts are now guarded by the presence of God and the peace of God. It's from that place that we're to think on these things. Listen to what he tells us. Think on things that are true. So from that place, think on things that not the lies of the enemy, Not deception, not those questions in our mind, but truth. Think about God's word. He says, think on whatever is noble or honorable. What are those things in life? Honor, integrity, love, humility, sacrificial giving, honesty. Think on these things. Think on things that are right, whatever's in line with God's standard of holiness, of righteousness. Concentrate, chew on these things things that are pure, things that are not defiled or twisted. Think on things that are held in high regard. How different today, friends, would our lives look if that was the definition of our thinking? How different would it look? I want to just share a a kind of a, a little bit of a humorous clip with you about the difference our thinking can make on how our lives are lived. What you're doing. A moment ago, we made this volunteer believe she sunk a pair of blindfolded free throws. When earlier, with no blindfold, she missed 10 in a row. How will she do her second time at the line now that she thinks she nailed those blindfolded buckets? Oh, close! (laughs) So close, so close. That's number one. All right, keep it going, keep it going. Oh! She's definitely getting closer, but no baskets yet. You got this, you got this, you got this. By making her think she sank those blindfolded shots, and by cheering and giving her positive reinforcement, it's almost like we hacked her self-confidence and got her to believe more in her natural abilities. In fact, out of 10 shots this time around, she ended up making four. Quite an improvement. But what if one of our volunteers was already good at basketball? Whoa, this guy's got game. He made a whopping nine shots from the line. 
think there's anything we could do to make him worse? Okay. So let's have you take one shot. All right? You think you can do it, guys? All right, Josh, let's give it a shot. Three, two, one. Not quite, not quite, but it's all right. Let's, let him let him try a second time. It's a tough one. All right. Wow. Let's give it a shot, Josh. All right. All right. Well, look, the man, the man is blind. Okay. Let's go ahead and take off the blindfold. So listen, it wasn't as easy as we thought, but let's yeah. have you do your, your 10 throws again without the blindfold. Okay. Just do your thing, nine out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10. Okay. All right, let's see. You guys uh, got his, his A game on? <laughs> Come on, Josh. Whoa. All right, Josh, you got this, man, you got this. All right, that's two. Remember, this guy made nine free throws earlier, but now it looks like the crowd's negative reinforcement is throwing him off his game. After watching this, I'm going to get a support group for when I go try to shoot hoops at the basketball court. <laughs> but as much as we find this humorous, look at the truth that's shown here. Take that out of free throws and basketball and put it into your life. What would change today, friends, if we committed in the power and the ministry of God's presence moving from a place of his peace guarding our heart, what if we committed to live and think differently? What would be on the other side of that shift in our thinking? What would your, what would your personal life look like if you committed to doing what Paul says here? What if it, instead of meditating on anxious thoughts, what if we thought about heaven? You ever do that? You ever think about the beauty that is lying in store ahead of us to hear the angels singing, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord, to take your mind out of the world, to look in the face of God the Father and just think about what it'll be like where we are living eternally with no sin and no shame and no brokenness. What would happen if we interrupted our thoughts with that? How would your job be different? How would your job be different if every day you commit yourself to dwelling not on how much your boss drives you crazy, not about that wacky coworker? What if you committed to dwelling, chewing, resolutely standing on the good things, on what God's word says? If you sought every day to commit yourself to see what God was up to at work, God moves outside the church. He moves at work. What if you committed yourself to seeing that through? to concentrating on those things, what could change? What about in your family or your friends? It's like, oh, brother, how is it that we're the only normal ones in the family, right? What would happen? What would happen if we took Paul's instructions to think on the good things, 
to view the beauty and diversity within our family and our friendships. And we gave space to people and, and we saw, we committed to see how God graciously made people different. What would change? Wouldn't that change a few reunion dynamics? How would your life be different if it was defined by thinking on these things? As the band begins to come today, the reality is that there's no aspect of our lives, there's no aspect of our lives that would not be affected by this transformation. Paul's final command in our text today is a commissioning. It's a commissioning. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me, put it into practice. And the peace of God will be with you. Paul's final instruction, his last emphasis, his last command is to go find out. Take what you've seen in me, take what you've learned, take what the Holy Spirit has lived in you and go put it into use. Go do it. You have to make that decision. Nobody else can do it for you. You're the one that has to say, when those thoughts come in your mind, you're the one that has to take it captive. You're the one that has to say, no, I'm going to turn to God's truth. I'm going to chew on things that are just and true and noble and righteous. Paul's final words here is, go do it. Take what you've learned and received and go. Live differently. And friends, as we're concluding the series today, that's it. Go live differently. You know, as, as we come through this whole series and this study, like, I, I'm a guy that has, I'm always looking for that life hack, that one easy way to get things done. I, I'm fine with doing things the hard way after a thorough search of making sure there's no easy way. And friends, there's no search around what the Apostle Paul has been telling us all through, through Romans, through 2 Corinthians, through Philippians. There's no way around it. We have to give ourselves to these disciplines. We have to commit to choose the way of Jesus in our thinking, in our thought life. This week, uh, parents in the room, you'll, you'll understand this. We caller ID came up and it was the daycare and that's like the phone call you never want. But in that moment, I had a choice. Am I going to live differently? Or am I just going to stay in those old patterns of thinking that think the worst, that want to take too many steps about things I don't know and I can't control? Or am I going to live what we've been learning? We all have a choice, friends. We have a choice in our thinking. Will you follow the Apostle Paul, the leading of the Spirit today that says, choose differently, think intentionally, live differently? Would you pray with me today? Lord, we come before you so humbled. Lord, that in the ministry of your Spirit, in the power of your Spirit, Lord God, you don't, you don't make us, we don't have to remain a slave to our thinking, but God, your presence will come. If we will invite you, if submit ourselves to your way, you will come and bring the peace of your presence, God. 
Lord, we want to live differently because of you, because of what you've done and who you are. Do it in our hearts today, Lord, and in the days to come. In your name we pray. Amen. Our closing song today is just an extension of worship. It's really the capstone of this whole series. And so I invite you today as the band sings to pray, to worship, concentrate on these things. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.